Okay. Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who in this time of crisis are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And I'm very happy today that we have as our guest, Janice Rovin, who is a matrimonial attorney who is known for her strength and her compassion. Welcome, Janice. Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. I'm glad to have you here. I think where I want to start is the fact is that you're known for compassion. And while I do not have any need or want to attack the legal profession, I would not say that my first thought about you say the word lawyer and what comes next is not compassion. Tell me how Uh, come you are, I'm, I'm glad you're compassionate. How does this come to be in terms of being a lawyer? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I do believe that a lot of my colleagues are not so compassionate. Uh, and a lot of my colleagues who practice in the area of matrimonial law are not compassionate. So I think the best answer, Tom, is for, you to, for me to tell you a little bit about my story and how I came to the, mat, the area of matrimonial. And that is um, 12 years, uh, let's see, my son is 17. So 15 years ago, I was sued by my ex who had no biological relationship or legal relationship to my son for custody of my son. Um, I went through seven lawyers and $700,000 and then finally said, um, I I can't do this with these people anymore. And I started to represent myself. Um, But the bottom line is, is that I know what it's like to be on the other side of the desk. So to be on this side of the desk, it gives me a whole different perspective on what it's like to be on the other side of the desk. So when somebody, when we're dealing with an agreement in matrimonial law and um, there are, you have to come up with an agreement that says I get the son or daughter certain days and I get the son or daughter certain days. Um, in my particular agreement, believe it or not, on my birthday, I don't get my son, which I think is absurd. I would never, never allow my client to sign something where for their birthday, they didn't get to be with their child. Um, so there are a lot of things that I learned along the way and I felt the pain of not seeing my son. Um, so with, with that pain, I have taken that to a different level and a different understanding of what I do and how I act with not only my clients, but also uh, my adversaries. Yes, well, that, how does that translate as a, into the work you do in terms of being compassionate and caring and understanding what your client is going through? is wonderful and probably something that we need in every field that we're in. You know, when we go to a doctor, we go to a tradesman, anybody, I want that. But when you go to deal with the issue and the person across from you is not compassionate, is not understanding, I guess that's where your strength has to come in. Well, it, it becomes, you know, look, you have to, there are sometimes that parents or my client comes to me and says, I want to, you know, are you an animal? Are you a, are you a, are you a real lion? And I can be a lion or a tiger, whatever you want to call that ag- aggressive um, person, but you have to think through and talk through with your client. If they have children, you know, you're going to be co-parenting with this guy for 20 years or 18 years or 15 years. Do you really want to hate each other more? I mean, clearly your relationship is broken down, 
do you really want to create uh, a hellish environment? Because after the litigation, I go back to my house and I live with my family. And there are lawyers that stir the pot. It, it, you know, you have to, you have to position your client to want to work with the other side. And then you have to try to work on your adversary uh, to work together. There are people that, uh, or there are attorneys that won't work, work it out. I, I'm in a case right now where I said, you know, let's work this out. And he said, I'm going, I'm coming after her big time. And no matter how many times I call him up and, and I say, hey, you know, Larry, let's figure this out. Every single time, he's like, I'm, you don't understand, I'm going after her. And I'm like, I understand you're going after her, but there's got to be a better way. Because all it's doing is increasing legal fees. And at the end of the day, uh, probably the end game would be the same a long time ago. I, I had a case one time where uh, we offered, they were children, and we offered a very reasonable settlement demand. Settlement demand. Two years later, um, my client got more money than we offered two years ago, and there are thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees. So had those had that had my adversary at that point in time said, "Sure, let's sit down and really have a conversation. Let's have a real conversation." You know, it would have saved their client a lot of money. So everybody right. is different. Do you is there anything that's built into the law, or built into law school, or what they teach? Do they teach you just to be aggressive and not to make a deal? I mean, how does um, that happen? Yeah, it's it's personality. It really is personality. There are some people that just that are easy to work with. Um, I guess in every field that are easy to work with, and that you can strike a deal. That's not to say that during the process it's not adversarial because you know, my job is to get the best deal for my client. Your job is to get the best deal for your client. So somewhere in the middle is the best deal. I always say that at the end of the day, if everybody walks out of the deal a little bit unhappy, that's the best, then everybody got the best deal. Because right. if somebody walks right. out really happy, that means the other person got hurt. And if somebody walks out really unhappy, probably the other person uh, got a great deal. So you want everybody to walk out either a little happy or a little unhappy, depending on your perspective on life. But if everybody, if nobody walks out super happy, then it's a, then it's a great deal. Right. Then it was the right deal. You know, and there are two different things in my world. You know, there are deals with children. When there are children involved, it's a whole different, it's a whole different game. And then if it's just money, it's okay. So we have a little less, you have a little more. Of course, I don't like to spend other people's money, but they're not, you know, with money as the sole issue, there's, there shouldn't be as much of an emotional component. Um, oftentimes there is, but you know, with children, there's a much deeper, deeper emotional component because some people want, you know, use the children as a pawn um, for different things, just to hurt the other person. Um, sometimes the daddy or the mommy don't doesn't even show up when they're supposed to show up. You know, they fight, fight, fight for access or visitation, and then they don't even show up. The court can't compel you to show up to, for your child. The court can't compel you to be a good daddy or a good mommy. The court can, however, compel you to pay child support. So it's a, it's a right. different game. It's a different game if you have children versus not children. Is it important to be have these people in one room? And does that change anything? Yeah, good question. Good question. Some people can't sit in the same room. I mean, there's so much animosity and hatred. Some people actually can't sit in the same room and they can't even sit in the same Zoom because now we don't know when the next time it is that we're all gonna sit in the same room. 
but um, right. you have to figure out again. Um, I think the most important thing, uh, and also what distinguishes me is that I really do listen to my clients. So if they say I can't sit in the same room, you don't push them into the room. You try to figure out why, and you try to figure out if you can negotiate the deal without them. Sometimes you can. Sometimes it's helpful to have them in the same room so they can air whatever's going on and they get past that, that airing their whatever anger they have. And then you can sit down and do some work or get it done. But every uh, situation is different. And that's what you have to realize. I mean, I've been a lawyer for 35 years. So, and I've been a litigator for 35 years. So that gives me a different, you know, a lot, it's years of experience, you know, of negotiating deals. Whether you're negotiating a contract case or a matrimonial case, you're still, your negotiation skills are what come into play and how you do it with compassion or with, um, you know, aggressiveness. Again, I can be just as aggressive as the next person, but I don't think in matrimonial law, um, it, it bodes well for your, for the families, because in the end of the day, they're still families. They might be a little broken or they're in a different, they're in a different environment, but they're still a mother and a father and, and children. And you really have to take that into, I believe you have to take that into account. Right. Well, and um, certainly the children make such a difference, such a difference. That, and correct. They're, they're going to have to live with, with, with not if not with, but in, the, in connection with the, each other or when they right. have a child to deal right. with that. Definitely. Right. Right. I mean, there are some, like I have a client right now that they, the child goes back and forth every night. And I'm like, wow, that's got to be a lot of back and forth for this child. And it's a little, it's a little child right now. It's like two, two, two. So it doesn't really make a difference. But when the kid becomes seven, eight, nine, going back and forth every night is going to be very hard for the child. And it's almost like you, you have to, con, you have to really go through it with a parent. Like, is this really what you want? But because the parent misses the child, which I understand, but you have to decide, like, wow, is my missing the child more important than the child's stability? Because sometimes the kid just wants to stay in one place for more than one night. You know, imagine going back and forth from one fa- family, one, yeah, month, not, one house to the next how, house. What right. stability does that child have, period, at any point? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it does. But, you know, the question is, like, if both of the parents are on board with that, what do, what do I do? I certainly don't want to, yeah. you know, mess it up. All I can say is to the, to the, I represent the dad, you know, I think this is a lot of back and forth for your child. And although it seems easy right now, as the child gets older, it's going to be harder and harder. Um, for the child and it's not so fair but ultimately yeah. the mother and the father are the people that are making the decisions if they can agree that's fantastic um, if they can't agree and they need um, you know a court system or maybe perhaps mediation then it becomes more complicated I mean listen Tom would you want a complete stranger to decide the fate of your family no I thank mean, you a, a, com- a complete stranger a guy in a robe you know that's or a, ga- a woman in a robe that's who would decide uh, the fate of your family. So, you know, you're much better off if you can negotiate a deal where you have a little control or you have a little control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you've doing this for a number of years, but you didn't start off as a purely matrimonial. What did correct, you start correct. your career as? Correct. I started doing um, medical malpractice defense. Um, my dad was a podiatrist, so it was always a big thing in our family. He, he was sued a couple of times, and each time it was just horrible. Um, so I started defending doctors. I did that for a while. I did what's called insurance defense litigation. So I represented RC, RCN and all, a lot of big companies in their insurance defense litigation. 
and then, which is really just litigation. So when my little kids would ask me what I did for a living when my children were little, I would always say I argue for a living. So you can only imagine yeah. <laughs> if, there was a, if there was a disagreement in our household, who would be the, the winner? But my kids are pretty good arguers, arguers now. I'm not quite sure if either of them will be attorneys. Um, I hope whatever they do, they're happy, but they definitely have the skills to, um, to make a, a, a good argument. You know. Yes, well, there are interesting things that children pick up or what they think when they, you tell them something just off, way off the subject. But uh, I was asked what I did. And I told them I worked in media and I bought television time, for, you know, and so mm -hmm. forth. And when someone asked my daughter, who was uh, probably about eight at that time, what does your dad do? She said he watches television. He, he says he watches television. And there was something else that was quite funny. I'm, blo I'm blowing it right now, but uh, he watches television and talks to people. That's it. Talks on the phone and watches television. That's it. There you go. That, that's that a good living. That's a good a living. Your understanding of what I did. Well, uh, you know, I, I think she probably has a different understanding now, but maybe that's exactly what happened back then. Um, to what it, what it what seemed it, like, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, when, and going back even a little further, because I'm fascinated by this, as a because you are a compassionate and caring person and you chose law because of your what happened with your dad or just did had you wanted to be in the law to begin with yeah good question i think i always wanted to be a lawyer perhaps because i was always uh because i always argued i don't know where that came from my uncle i have two uncles that were lawyers my dad was a doctor my mom was an accountant and um my brother was uh is a in the entertainment business and he always used to just uh, say that I was his in-house counsel, which I, quite frankly, I knew nothing about entertainment law. And, but he, would, he knew a lot about it. So he would write letters and I would, off the record, I would sign my name. But um, yeah, so I, I've always done litigation. I've always just argued. Um, I like public speaking. I like talking to people. I like solving problems. And that's what you're really doing with, uh, with family law. You're creating, you know, you're thinking outside the box you know, to create a, a structure where it would work for the family. You know, like I had a case, right. I'll give you an example. Uh, the daddy and the mommy, he worked, uh, he worked and the mommy didn't really work. She had a business offsite. So my client uh, wanted to see the children over the weekend and with the other person, it didn't really matter. So my client, we structured a deal. So my client saw the child Friday, Saturday, Sunday and the mom saw the child Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And they rotated Monday. Um, then the child got to be older and the dad wanted to be more involved in school. So we changed it to a week, a week. So the dad would have the child for a week and the mom would have the child for a week. So you have to kind of think outside the box and hope that um, your understanding of the family structure, because it's not really my, uh, you know, you have to tell me what works for your family. When you tell me what, what you think is going to work for your family, then my job is to sell it to the other attorney or to the other side. Right. And do you, that implies that you stay with the, your client beyond that solving the divorce. I mean, that you have family issues. So well, believe it or not, that, that particular couple, they weren't even married. So the, I'm not gonna say it's a new thing, but there are a lot of uh, situations where there's just, it's a mommy and a daddy, but they're not married. So that mm. becomes a little, I'm not gonna say trickier because it's the same concept. Once you have children, you have children. But you have to, some to, look, this is not a fast process. When somebody comes to me, let's say today, they're not gonna be divorced or there's not gonna be an agreement for conceivably a year, maybe two. It depends on 
everybody's position. So in the beginning of this particular case, the mommy wanted full custody and the daddy wanted full custody. So over the course of a year or two, we came up with an agreement that worked for both of them. Again, neither of them were really happy at the end, um, but they both were had an understanding that this was in the best interest of the child. And this was as, as good a deal as they could get, which is splitting, splitting the access to the child. Right. So, and as the child gets older, of course, everything changes. You know, it does change. You when know, sometimes does the child have more say in it? I mean, they can talk, but when do they have actual say in the situation? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, the answer is there's no official year that a court will recognize a child as somebody that they uh, will listen to. Uh, they try to hear what the child wants, but um, certainly when the b below 13 or 14, they will not really listen. But again, it's up to the parents. If somebody says, look, I really wanna be with daddy, um, the parents have to decide if they can do it. If they can't do it and you go back to the, to the court system, you know, the, the child will have an attorney and the attorney will advocate for the child. I want to live with mommy more. I want to be with daddy more. Um, and then if necessary, the court will, uh, they'll have a trial. So, you know, it's, uh, look, at the age of 16, you're not really going to tell your child to, it's very hard to, um, for a parent to say, you're staying here because it's my time. You know, the kid will just get up and walk out. Yes, um, well, but, you don't tell 16-year-olds much of anything, actually. Well, that's, that's the whole point. So when they're 12 and 13 and you still have control over them, or maybe even 14, you can kind of control it. But once they get to a certain age, um, you know, they get taller than you. <laughs> you know, they get yeah, smarter that's than right. you. <laughs> that's, yes, they're particularly, and they can use uh, media better. They can use the computer better. <laughs> exactly. I get my own daughter to teach me how to do the Zoom calls. <laughs> I, exactly, they'll cut. They'll cut you off. They'll cut you off. <laughs> Forget it. That's yeah, right. it's it's That's it's right. it is tricky. You know, look if there's if you know you hope again that the agreement that was structured works, and you hope that the family or the parents can speak to each other in a way that's civilized and really take into account um, the other per the child's needs. I mean, I had a case one time where the kid, they were signed up for an athletic camp. And in the middle of the year, the child decided he wanted to go to a performing arts camp. And one parent was behind it. Yes, go to performing arts camp. Of course, whatever you want over the summer. And the other parent said, nope, you've made a commitment to the sports camp. You have to go to the sports camp. I mean, and that's where they were. So we had to go to the court and the court decided that, okay, for half of the summer. Now the kid also wanted to go to a shorter camp because he missed home too, too much. So the court decided that he should go to the sports camp for five weeks and the um, other camp for three weeks, which again defeated the purpose because the kid only wanted to go away for six weeks, but that's what the court decided. And the parents could not, they were like oil and water. They could not get past it. And then, so what happened? The boy called up the owner of the camp and said, I don't want to come to your camp. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the camp was so afraid that the boy was going to create such havoc that the camp called the parents and said, uh, I love your son, but he's not welcome to my camp this year. And that's how the problem was solved, if you can believe it. That's, so, that's fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, yes. because the parents couldn't agree. The court decided one thing and the kid, and the kid was maybe 10. And the kid found the number of the camp, called up the camp owner and said, I really don't wanna be here. And, yeah. and that's what happened. So sometimes the kid does it, yeah. Well, in the situations that you find yourself, they're very unusual. 
But now you've got yourself on top of that, the, the pandemic. And Correct. how has that affected everything? Well, I think that everything is, is exponentially harder. Um, I think for quite a while, we weren't allowed to file divorce matters for many, many months. Um, I think that during the pandemic, it either strengthened your relationship and you're going to make it forever or it's over. There's nothing, there's nothing that can help it. Um, so because people have been confined, you know, with each other for a long period of time. I mean, the other problem has become uh, one parent going to California or going upstate with a kid and then the other parent not being able to see the kid. Uh, that's the other problem that's happening. Um, I had one case in particular in the height of the pandemic, the daddy had only three hours a week. And uh, the mom said, look, I don't want, and there was nowhere to go. The mom said, you know, I don't really want my kid to go on these visits. And the dad brought a court order, you know, went to the court and the court ordered that he had to have these visits. So the dad sat in a car with his child for three hours on Saturdays, which I thought was, a, you know, a little ridiculous, but that's what the court ordered. So my client had to abide by it. So there are a lot of, on, on a lot of levels, first of all, it's harder. People are not getting along as much, so they want more divorces. And second is, you know, how do you have access and how do you have visits when you couldn't go anywhere? You couldn't go to a McDonald's with your child. So you had to sit in the car like that was okay. That's, that was safe. I don't think it was safe on any right. level, but the judge said safe, it's safe. So all of the courts in, in all of the boroughs um, took the position that if there's an access agreement, the access had to happen. They don't call it visitation anymore. They call it access. So if there was a visitation or slash access agreement, that that had to go forward regardless of what it, of what it looked like, regardless right, of COVID. Right. Well, now you said something when, when we talked before, you wrote something up that you said the court systems are never going to be the same. What did you mean by that? Correct. Well, right now we're still not physically in court and I actually have trials online on, um, it's not Zoom and it's another platform. I'm not so sure that the court system is going to open up to people again, or not for a really long time. Um, I think on some level, it's a lot more efficient. For example, I could go to family court before COVID, and I could sit there for four hours before a judge would hear, hear us. And right. now I have a time certain, you know, 12 o'clock, boom, it goes, and then you have a half hour. And whether you're done in a half hour, I mean, usually they don't cut you off, but they can, um, because the next, the next appearance is at 1230. So it's a little more efficient. So I don't know if the court system is going to give up that efficiency on some level. On another set level, it's terribly inefficient. You know, I've, I was on a call one time for four hours before they called my case, literally, and you're sitting there waiting until your case gets called, which is the same thing as being in court. But I'm not so sure that they're going to be in-person appearances um, for a really long time, for a really long time. Well, it's also not so sure for any of us how, how much being close can, can happen for a very long time. And right. in I, the court, right. if you were like a juror or going for jury duty, you were crushed in with tons of people. Right. Well, the, the people, the, the attorneys that are really hurt the most from this is the personal injury attorneys, because they're the ones, and maybe the criminal guys, but I'm sure they're figuring out the criminal stuff. The personal injury people, they need juries. And otherwise, they're not going to settle these cases. So the really the people that are really worse off is the people that are injured, the people that there was malpractice committed and they have a viable claim or they were in an automobile accident. They're not going to get, you know, the defense firms are not really paying to settle these cases until there are juries. So the defense firms are doing quite well and the plaintiffs, the plaintiffs themselves are really hurt by this. 
really no, that's difficult. Easy. That's very difficult. And how about yourself? What do you feel about the work you're doing? Are you looking forward to, to staying online or would you like to be person to person again? Um, I think uh, I, I like being in person. I think it, it, you know, when I'm in court and my client is next to me, I can whisper in her ear saying, what do you think of this? Or we can have like a little com communication. Now I'm on court like I would be like if you were a judge and I'm like texting my client madly, like, what do you think of this? And it's whoever is the, whoever types fastest, you know? I mean, sometimes you can't, my clients are not such good typers. So then you have to say, judge, can I just get off the Zoom and call my client? And it's just, it's not the same. Um, and, and I find it difficult. Sometimes there's a little delay in the speech. So I'm speaking, like the judge will say something, but I won't see her talking and I won't hear it until, so it sounds like I'm talking over her. So, or him or whoever the judge is. So there are those kind of problems still. Um, yes, well, I really don't. The body yeah, language, I imagine. You don't really see body Correct. language as well on, on, Correct. on, on and, a Zoom call. And I'm gonna bet though it's totally inappropriate that um, people use scripts. So if I do a direct examination, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I don't know, I mean, I'm not saying it, but if, if somebody has something written uh, in front of them that's helping them testify. I mean, I, oh, I can just see, I see that happening, I see. Yeah. right? Because you're not supposed to have that happening, but nobody's seeing what's going on, right? And uh, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say that that's happening, but I wouldn't be surprised if that isn't happening because- It's very it's really interesting easy. how many different complications have come out of this this virus. Just right, right. Every, right. every occupation, everything that we do. But it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. And it's, and it's more stressful. I mean, as you said, you know, living together, if you're in the midst of what, thinking you need a divorce or wanting a divorce, living together until you can actually right. do something about it is, right. makes, sounds like un, un, unfair punishment somehow if you can't right. get along right. at all. And, and you know, the, the problem is that, you know, a lot of people are victims of domestic violence. So yes. that's really yes. a problem. And with the children, is especially, it's a big problem. You know, that's and, a much uh, bigger problem. Yeah, it's a really big. That's a really big problem. It's a terrible. Well, we haven't we haven't day. solved everything, unfortunately. But you have been very informative, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that well, a lot. Well, I appreciate know, the opportunity. And knowing someone is is as compassionate as you are. But before we do end, even though we're real close to the end here, um, if somebody else who is listening to this now or later would like to get in touch, ask you questions, or use your services, what's the best sure. way for them to reach you? Uh, the best way is my email address, which is jroven, R-O-V-E-N, at Roven Law Group. Or you can call, the number is 212-262-3280, either way. What's the, what's the number again, 212? 262-3280. 262-3280. Okay, well, we'll put all of that into the show. So that people Fantastic. can have the opportunity, because what you, the information you have, and and the caring that you have is very important. And I wish, since everybody could have an easy divorce, I don't know if there is such a thing, but exactly, I, exactly. But a compassionate one is possible with you. So thank you very much. We try. Appreciate your being here, and thank I appreciate you, Tom. I appreciate it. I'm glad to do it. I'm happy that our audience is listening to the heart of healing the pandemic episodes. Fantastic. You're doing a great service, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I got to just, just, hold on.